O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My preaching professor in seminary was a man by the name of the Reverend Dr. William Turner, Jr. And Dr. Turner was an amazing and gifted professor, but he was also, also a full-time pastor. In addition to all of his teaching responsibilities at the university, each and every Sunday he preached at Mount Level Missionary Baptist Church. And he had this phrase, which he began every single class. Now, our class met Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. sharp. And so all of us would drag in and sit down, and Dr. Turner would bound in full of energy and say, Good morning, saints! To which the class would say, Good morning, Dr. Turner. And then he would say, Good morning, sinners! to which more of us would add our voice, Good morning, Dr. Turner. And that's how he began every class. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Now, he didn't come up with this phrase, but he believed it. That all of us are a bit of both. A bit of saint, and probably a little bit more sinner. And the Gospel of Jesus declares that we sinners through the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, are to be called saints. Holy ones, set apart, forgiven, made new, sanctified. Now, there's a little bit of a misnomer that goes around that we Protestants, we Methodists, don't believe in saints. And the exact opposite is true. We believe in saints. We're just a little bit looser with the term. In fact, this morning in Rome, two new uh, Catholic saints were declared by Pope Francis. Um, Archbishop Romero, the Archbishop of El Salvador, who was an outspoken critic of the regime of El Salvador and an ardent defender of the poor of his community, who, because of his opposition and criticism, criticism of the government, was assassinated while preaching a Mass. This morning he was declared a saint of God. Along with Pope Paul VI, who was a very dynamic and uh, important figure in the 1960s in Italy and in the Roman Catholic Church, who was the Pope that presided over the Second Vatican Council, he too this morning was proclaimed a saint. But we Methodists also believe that there are saints among us. Those who have gone on before, who have finished their race of faith and now rest in the glory and presence of God, they are saints. But we also, who struggle here, who toil and work and labor, we too hope and pray that we might experience a bit of God's presence and therefore might experience a bit of God's holiness so that in the midst of our life on earth, we might prepare for our life in God's kingdom 
So, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Now, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the preacher who's giving this sermon, which comes down to us as a letter to the Hebrews, is trying to get his congregation to understand this truth. That we, though sinful, that we, though full of mistakes and challenges and error, we, though human, have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to become saints. And he uses this image of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I know all of us who grew up in modern America have very little knowledge of ancient temple practice or ancient temple architecture. But the writer of the letter of Hebrews knew his audience would be intimately familiar with the temple in Jerusalem and would undoubtedly understand the role of a high priest and the importance of the sacrificial system. And so when he says, you might become saints of God because we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ, his congregation would say, I understand completely. But 2,000 years later, we have a bit of a struggle trying to understand exactly what he means when he says Jesus is a high priest and we therefore may boldly approach the throne and find mercy in our time of need. Now, uh, any of you who have spent any time with me know that I'm a bit of a history nerd. So for those of you who don't like history, just take a little nap. I'll call you back at the end of the sermon, okay? But the rest of you, imagine if you will, that this sanctuary, this holy room, is the temple in Jerusalem. Now let me help you a little bit. The temple in Jerusalem during Jesus' day was laid out under the command of the Old Testament Levitical laws. And it was a copy of the ancient tabernacle that the people of Israel, when wandering in the desert for 40 years, would pack up and carry with them. And when they would get to a place where God told them to stop, they would stop, unpack the tent, set it up, and stay there for a few weeks until they had to move. Of course, the good thing is, after all that wandering, once we're in Jerusalem, we could build it and leave it. And there were three main parts to the temple. Now, the largest part was the courtyard, where anybody could go. I want you to think of that as the narthex, or the foyer, or that little room you walked through when you came in the front doors. And if you came in that way, think of the welcome center as the courtyard. It was in the courtyard where animals for sacrifices were kept, where people could come and meet with the priests to talk about the need that they might have for sacrifices. And it was that courtyard which is where if you ever got to go into the temple was the only place and as far as you ever got. Because the idea of the temple was that you and I were sinners. We just couldn't help but break God's law. Of course, there were the big ten 
the Ten Commandments, but then there were 613 other laws that helped to explain how to keep those big ten. And what the truth is, is that God knew that we were going to break the law. Like parents know their children are going to make mistakes, right? God knew we were going to break the law, so that when God gave the law in the book of Leviticus, God gave all of the sacrifices at the same time. It's funny, in Leviticus it doesn't say if you break the law, but when you break the law. So, when you do a transgression, here is the appropriate sacrifice. Here is uh, what you need to do to make amends. And so, you would come to the courtyard of the temple, and you would meet with the priest and say, I bore false witness against my neighbor. I need to atone. The priest would tell you the appropriate sacrifice. You would pay for the animal, or you would provide the animal yourself. The priest would then, on your behalf, take an animal in the courtyard, offer a sacrifice, and then the priest would enter the next area of the temple, which was called the sanctuary, the holy place. Uh, imagine this place where you're sitting, as the sanctuary. It's easy to do because we call this room a sanctuary. But in that holy place where the priest could go is where they would bring a representation of the sacrifice. And in that smaller room than the courtyard, in that smaller room, there were some important objects. There was a table that always had bread on it the bread of presence, a reminder of how God would feed us in the wilderness. There was a great menorah, a lampstand that would provide light in the room. There were other objects that reminded the people of God's presence and promise to them. And so priests would enter into the sanctuary to offer sacrifice, to light incense, and to pray to God on behalf of the people. There was an even smaller room, however, called the Holy of Holies, which not even the priests dared to enter. Imagine past this rail a small table, and on top of that, a box. And inside the box, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. The ancient Hebrews believed in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments rested that it was in that room that the very presence of God dwelled. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. It was considered to be the throne of God. From that throne would flow mercy and forgiveness out of the Holy of Holies, into the sanctuary, past the priests, to the people in the courtyard, hoping for forgiveness. And that system worked for thousands of years. In fact, 
the Holy of Holies was so special that only one man once a year was allowed to go inside. The high priest. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he would enter the Holy of Holies that one time in order to make a sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation for the whole year. Now, it was dangerous because it was said that if you entered into the presence of God with sin in your heart, you would be struck dead. So the high priest would spend many days before in prayer and in ritual sacrifice, preparing himself for that awesome and fearful task of entering the Holy of Holies. Now, here's a part that I think is kind of funny, and I hope it doesn't offend you. But there was a tradition to tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that when he crossed the veil and entered into the Holy of Holies and stood before the Ark of the Covenant and raised his hands in prayer and adoration to the God of Most High, if there was some sin in his life that he had not thought of and had not offered sacrifices for and therefore had entered into the Holy of Holies in a sinful state and then happened to be struck dead, then the people could pull him out. They thought of everything. And they took it that seriously. No one would cross this veil into the Holy of Holies, daring to approach the throne of God. It was dangerous. And yet we needed mercy and forgiveness. And so the priests would do that for us. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says, In Jesus Christ, we have a great high priest. A great high priest who, unlike other priests, even your pastor, who from time to time makes mistakes, this priest is sinless. And yet, knows our every weakness. Therefore, he can make a perfect offering for us and for all of our sins. And if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, we're told something amazing. This high priest has come out of the Holy of Holies, out of the sanctuary, and into the courtyard. He's taken us by the hand and led us back into the temple into the sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies. And he says, with boldness, approach the throne of grace from which you will find mercy. Not once a year, not once a week, 
but we're told you will find mercy whenever you ask. Now, for those of us modern Christians, this might seem interesting, but for the first listeners to this letter, this was something they could have never imagined. These were Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who had been raised their entire life to believe that God dwelled in the temple and that only the most righteous, most perfect priest would ever dare set foot in that place. And you're telling us that in Jesus, we, we sinners, we unrighteous, have been invited to walk in to the most holy, to the very presence of God? You see, the preacher of Hebrews is saying something like this. Good morning, sinners. It's time to become a saint. Because to enter into the holy place of God, to stand before His throne, is to become a saint. Not because of what we have done or what we can do, but because of what God in Jesus Christ has offered. Forgiveness and mercy whenever we need it. Because even as the author of Hebrew knows in his own life, the temple which is destroyed is not where we place our hope. We place our hope in the person of Jesus who called himself the temple of God. And so each and every day we can enter into the temple. When we pray, when we cry out to Jesus, Jesus takes us by the hand and walks us into the very presence of God. One of my most favorite parts of the Gospels is the story that is told about the moment Jesus dies on the cross. You may recall that in the midst of Christ's passion, darkness covers the whole earth, the ground shakes, the skies flash. But the most amazing detail that's told is that the temple, inside the courtyard, past the sanctuary, at the door to the Holy of Holies, the veil is split in two. A sign that the sanctuary is open. The Holy of Holies has broken out. The throne of God is available for any of us to approach 
and with boldness ask for mercy and to find the grace that flows from the very presence of God. And so we sinners are invited through the mercy and grace of God to become saints. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks that in your mercy you have come to us as one of us and that in Jesus we have a high priest who knows our every weakness, our every need. And because of his perfect obedience to you, has won for each of us forgiveness. We are grateful for the mercy and the grace offered to anyone and everyone. We are grateful for the opportunity to bring to you every need, every concern, every prayer. And we are grateful that the the very holy place stands open for all of us. And so, Lord, in gratitude for this great gift, we offer our lives, we offer ourselves, we offer our sins that you might bring healing and wholeness to each of us. And Lord, we offer ourselves in service as your priests sent back out into the world on your behalf to share the good news that the door to the Holy of Holies is open. And so, Lord, we unite ourselves in that task as we sinners struggle to live as your saints. Uniting our hearts with each other and our voices as one as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.